As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Then they sent to Jesus some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me see it. And they brought one. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Jesus said to them, Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A little over a decade ago, the National Study of Youth and Religion released a documentary called Soul Searching. The movie explored the results of a sociological study that interviewed young people all over America, students of different backgrounds, ethnicities, and religious traditions. In spite of the diversity of those interviewed, the sociologists discovered that most American teenagers, whether or not they identified with any particular religion, believe in God. They believe in God, but they believe that God exists as a kind of divine butler or therapist, there when you need help to solve your problems, but not overly involved in the details of your life. The other thing many of these teenagers had in common was the belief that more than anything else, God wants us to be happy. Beyond this, the majority of young people had a difficult time articulating what they believe about God and how their faith impacts their life. If that wasn't disheartening enough, the researchers concluded that these teenagers had simply adopted the attitudes they observed in the adults in their lives. In other words, if teenagers view God as a divine butler and therapist who just wants us to be happy— It's because this seems to them to be how the adults around them view God. Is that how we view God? Do we think or even just wish that life with God is as straightforward as putting a coin in a vending machine and choosing what we want to come down the chute? God, today I really need a job, a cure, Forgiveness, peace. We go to church. We seek to live according to the rules as we understand them. We give away a carefully calculated amount of money. We serve however we can 
We get our children baptized or confirmed, and we hope that all this will somehow mean God will be there when we have a need. We long to reduce the complexity of life to simple formulas. Do this, and that will happen. Curate the perfect life on social media, and it will be yours. Follow all the rules, and you'll be successful. Sooner or later, we learn the hard way that such formulas rarely hold true, yet still we long for them. When Jesus responds to what seems to be a straightforward question with the pronouncement, give to the emperor what belongs to the emperor and to God what belongs to God, it might sound like he's finally offering us a simple formula to make sense of a vexing dilemma, how to sort out the competing demands of being a good citizen and a faithful Christian. But as with so many of Jesus' words, when we look at his response more closely, we discover there is nothing simple about it. Jesus gives this answer to a question from two different groups, the Herodians and the Pharisees. The Herodians were Jews loyal to King Herod, who had been appointed king of the Jews by Rome. Because of this loyalty, they supported paying taxes to the emperor, the ruler of the Roman Empire. The Pharisees, on the other hand, opposed paying taxes to the emperor on religious grounds. These groups were on opposite sides of the political and religious spectrum of first century Judaism. They were as likely to be united in a cause as today's most extreme Democrats and Republicans. But here, they've joined forces because they think they found a question Jesus can't answer without getting himself into serious trouble. If he says to pay the tax, he's given the Pharisees the reason they need to bring him down. If he says not to, he could be charged with sedition against Rome. It's a trap. Before he attempts to respond, though, Jesus makes a request. Bring me a denarius, the coin used to pay the tax. Like many of our coins today, the denarius was stamped with an image. In this case, the image of Caesar, the emperor. The denarius was used to pay the taxes levied by Caesar. As such, it belonged to Caesar already, whether one objected to paying the tax or not. This is the simple truth Jesus points out with the first phrase of his statement, give to the emperor what is the emperor's. But then he continues, and give to God what belongs to God. Now we might be tempted to think that Jesus is simply saying that politics and faith are two sides of the same coin and can be clearly delineated. There are things that belong to the government and things that belong to God, and once we figure out which is which, the question is settled. But this rather innocuous phrase, give to God what belongs to God, really isn't an answer. It's a statement that forces us to ask a whole new question. 
What belongs to God? The answer, of course, is everything. The denarius was the coin used to pay taxes to Rome because it had the image of the Roman emperor stamped on it. So when Jesus invites us to consider what belongs to God, wouldn't the answer be that what belongs to God is whatever is stamped with God's image? And in that very first chapter of Genesis, we discover that the only thing in all creation fashioned in the image of God is humanity. All of humanity. What belongs to God? You do. And I do. And every human being on the planet does. We, who are stamped with the image of God, we belong to God. This week, the participants of our six-week series with Coming to the Table, RVA, watched the movie The Best of Enemies about the true story of Ann Atwater and C.P. Ellis, who led school integration in Durham, North Carolina in the 1970s. Ann was a Black activist and C.P. was the president of the local Ku Klux Klan. At the beginning of the movie, we see CP at a Klan meeting, standing at a podium under a banner which reads, Our race is our country. After wrapping up business, he invites everyone there to bow their heads in prayer, ending the prayer with these words, As we go into the streets of the alien world, let us not forget the crowning glory of the Klansmen, is to serve. He then leads all those gathered in reciting the clan motto, not for oneself, but for others. If all of humanity, having been made in the image of God, belongs to God, and if Jesus calls us to give to God what belongs to God, how does this help us understand how our faith calls us to serve others, to care for our neighbors as ourselves, including how we exercise our rights as citizens to vote and to work for the welfare of our communities. In a conversation about this passage, the Reverend Dr. Brian Blunt points out, if everything belongs to God, if even the emperor is made in God's image, then there isn't anything that truly belongs to the emperor or to anyone else. Now, Jesus is smart enough not to say this directly, but surely his opponents knew what he meant. The emperor can put his image on anything he wants, but that won't change the fact that everything and everyone belongs to God. Whatever we do in the political sphere, paying taxes, participating in elections, using political processes to strengthen our communities, we do this as people who belong to God in a world that belongs to God. Which means that faith and politics are not two sides of one coin. Our faith is the coin 
and our politics is subservient to it. Ultimately, C.P. Ellis had a slow and steady awakening to the twisted and evil way the Klan co-opted the Christian faith to justify terrorism and violence against whole categories of human beings. Near the end of the movie, C.P. stands up to another podium, this time in front of an auditorium filled with people who've spent weeks working on the issue of integrating the schools. Half the audience is white, half black. C.P. stands up to cast the deciding vote. If he votes no, the schools remain segregated. If he votes yes, they will be integrated. Everyone there already knows how CP is going to vote because he was put in this position for this very moment. The Klan believes CP will vote their interests because CP belongs to the Klan. Looking out at that crowd, half of which is prepared to be vindicated and half disappointed, and all of them knowing what to expect, CP says this. You know, before I go on, <clears throat> I'd like to show you all something. This is my clan membership card. <laughs> I was given this card 12 years ago. It's it, it been in my wallet ever since. In fact, I cried when they gave me this card, and I grew up in a house where I was taught men don't cry. But I cried anyway. Cried because it was the first time in my life I didn't feel alone. Sure, I was married with a family. That's not the kind of alone I'm talking about. As a man, you expect to take care of that family. And I was having a hard time doing that. We were struggling. So. There I was, I was a part of something now. Something much, much bigger than me. And then when they made me president, boy, I was over the moon. Poor old CPL is president of something. <laughs> it's a real brotherhood, it is. In the clan, you look out for one another. Nobody's left behind. Everybody does for everybody else. In fact, it says it right here on this card. It says, non silba sed anthar, which means not for oneself, but for others. That's our motto. But see, now I got a problem. There's a problem. Because there's a lot of that going around right here in this room. People doing for others. Last two weeks been full of people just, just doing for others. And they're not just white people, is it? There's a lot of black folk doing for others too. But I'm the president of the Klan. I'm supposed to hate black folk. I teach people to hate black folk. They're supposed to be inferior to us. Now, if I don't believe that, then I have no business being president of the Klan. 
and I don't believe it. So my problem is, I don't have no need for this anymore. Mr. Riddick, I vote yes. Jesus! There is no simple formula for how to faithfully live as though everything and everyone belongs to God. And there is no one country or political party or elected official who can exclusively claim they are Christian. Our political views are as influenced by our birthplace and families of origin and experiences of success and failure and struggle in life as they are by our faith. But with these words, give to the emperor what belongs to the emperor and to God what belongs to God, Jesus calls each of us to live in such a way that everything in our lives, everything, reflects the biblical claim that we all belong to God, that we are all made in God's image, that no person or group is superior or inferior to any other, and that if we want to build communities where everyone can thrive, can pursue that aspirational American promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness— then we will each have to sacrifice some of our individual desires for the sake of that community. And there is nothing easy about that. It runs directly counter to this view of God as a divine butler and therapist who just wants us to be happy. But that is not the God the Bible reveals to us. That is not the God Jesus reveals in his life and especially in his death, that ultimate act of sacrifice for others. The Bible promises that eternal, abundant life is something we discover when we put the needs of the community ahead of ourselves. Parker Palmer suggests that as we wrestle with how to do this, we must judge ourselves by the standard called faithfulness. Are we faithful to the community on which we depend, to doing what we can in response to its pressing needs? Are we faithful to the better angels of our nature and to what they call forth from us, Are we faithful to the eternal conversation of the human race, to speaking and listening in a way that takes us closer to truth? Are we faithful to the call of courage that summons us to witness to the common good, even against great odds? Everything, everyone, belongs to God.
When our faithfulness is rooted in that promise, we will find the strength and the courage to do justice, love mercy, and build God's beloved community together. Amen.